It's, it was interesting this morning um, to be getting dressed to get ready to come here and, uh, and just be dying of curiosity to, to try to figure out how she was putting her makeup on and practicing her songs for this morning. And, uh, you know, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it? I mean, our neighbors probably thought, gosh, that's the first time those people have ever been singing when they got up to go to church on Sunday morning. <laughs> kind of makes you wonder, huh? It'd be probably a great idea for all the neighbors to hear you get up singing that you were going to church instead of screaming at each other and throwing one another into the car. Get into the car. Look at the time. It's going to be late. But, uh, you know, it's a, just a whole different way of, of getting ready. Uh, as Ter- Tara mentioned, um, a couple of months ago, we happened to be back in Alabama, and it was a great time to be there. And uh, they got married on her, her parents' uh, property, which was an old southern plantation. When it was an old one. It was new, but it was old when we got there. <laughs> uh, you know, we were, we were 100 years late getting there. But anyway, uh, and uh, one of the things that was interesting is at a wedding like that, you have people that come from all over the country, and uh, the, the night before the wedding, uh, Tara's dad was out there, and uh, there was a few of us, and one of the guys happened to be from Texas, which is always a rather interesting experience. But anyway, so, so uh, Tara's dad, Andy, was, was uh, the, the guy from Texas, said, well, how big is how big's your land? And he said, well, um, and, he, and he started, he goes, well, and I can't even begin to imitate this conversation, the dialects, the accents, none of it. But he just said, well, if you see that stream over there, if you go out that way and go out to where that corn is over there and go out over to where uh, those trees are, and then the, the Chihei Mountains over there, Chihei, was Chihei? Yeah, Chihei Mountains over there. I know we kept looking for him because we knew if the clouds would, would leave him, then it would probably quit raining. So, um, and then over this way, that's pretty much our land. And the guy from Texas goes, well, shoot, that ain't nothing. I thought, oh boy, here we go. He said, our property is so big, as everything in Texas is, is that we get up in the morning, we get in our truck, and we start to drive around the perimeter of our property. We drive, and 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 finally we get so tired of driving, we stop, we have lunch. (laughs) We get back in the truck, we drive, and we drive, we drive, we drive, we stop, and we have supper. And then by the time we get back to where we started, it's already evening. He goes, that's how big our property is. And Andy looked at him, didn't miss a blink, and said, you know, we used to have an old truck like that once, too, until we got a new one. <laughs> so, got to love them, got to love them. But uh, actually, the reason I brought that up is that, you know, things aren't always what they appear to be, and I feel like I'm so far away from you, but, but nothing to follow me today, so... But um, uh, things, things aren't always what they appear to be, and, um, and you know, that's a, a great story to illustrate that. But the truth of the matter is that's the way it is with a lot of the problems that we experience in life. You know, the problems that we have are really only symptoms, most of the time, of a real problem that's underlying all of it. And so we deal with the symptoms and think if we can take care of the symptoms, and somehow or other that takes care of the problem. But in reality, the symptoms are just that. And uh, over the last, I think it's been like 34 weeks... And if you're here for the first time, man, you have just kept this thing really short. For 34, hi, you are a live wire in the morning, are you? You're not going to like it here because these people are dead. I mean, I'm serious. You know, so I don't know, I might want to just have you bounce from row to row to get a little electricity flowing down the row there, you know. And all of a sudden, they'll be doing the wave, and, and uh, that'd be good. But, uh, you know, we, we've been going through the book of Proverbs for the last 34 weeks, and uh, what I'd like to do today is just give you an overview of uh, each of the particular problems or topics that we had and, uh, and just, just some of the things that really have meant a lot to me or, or principles or points or truths uh, that I've learned that have, have made a difference in my life. 
and, and hopefully, um, you know, this will be a recollection for some of you, and it'll be a challenge as well. Uh, I've got 15 things that we're going to talk about, and some of you are saying it's not humanly possible, but with God, all things are possible, and thank you, I'm not human, thank you very much. I heard that crack down there, but... Uh, but, uh, well, that reminds me, well, what we'll do is, since, you know, speaking of non-human type things, we'll, we'll just kind of put it in warp factor 8 like they used to do on Star Trek, and uh, we'll just kind of go for it. But the first thing that we saw was the problem of wisdom. And uh, basically, the book of, well, good luck, too, but I'll, I'll, I'll read it if you can't see it. But uh, the book of Proverbs basically uh, demonstrates very clearly that there's only two ways to live your life. One way is the right way, and the other way is the wrong way. And it kind of simplifies things, and so that's how I kind of put it into terms that I can walk away with and understand. There's really only two ways to live. We're either going to do what's right before God, or we're going to do what's wrong. That's it. There's no middle ground. There's no confusion anywhere else. And basically, God says that if you're a wise person, you'll do what's right before God. If you're a foolish person, you'll do what's wrong. And so as we've looked at the problem of, uh, the problem of wisdom, we saw in Proverbs 1.7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Proverbs 9.9, Instruct a wise man, and he'll be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he'll add to his learning. Bottom line, and overly simplifying something that we discussed for a couple of weeks, is that God says there's two ways to live. You're either going to choose to do what's right before God, or you choose to do what's wrong before God, and that's all there is to it. And he contrasts the two by saying that, you know what, a wise person demonstrates that they're wise by doing what's right, and it involves discipline in their life. If you think about it, it really does. To do what's right before God involves discipline in how we live our life. But the opposite of it is an undisciplined life and living to please yourself for the moment. And uh, we'll talk specifically about that. But Proverbs 9.9, I like this particular point because it, it simplifies things to some degree. If you instruct a wise man, he'll be wiser still. If you teach a righteous man, he will add to his learning. One of the things that impresses me as we've gone through this study is that none of us are perfect. We're all going to mess up. It's not a matter of if we mess up. It's a matter of when we mess up and how we mess up. It's a matter of what wrong choice we make because, as I said, life is a series of choices. You're going to either choose to do what's right or choose to do what's wrong. If you choose to do what's wrong, the Bible says you mess up and you've got some problems that result because of it. But the one thing that impresses me throughout our study was the simple point that, you know what, if you instruct a wise man, he'll be wiser still. You know, the Bible is filled with people who have made mistakes. Uh, the interesting thing to me is I, I think about people like King David and the mistake that he made in committing adultery and murder. And yet, the interesting thing is, is that God, you know, says he's a man after God's own heart. But God still judged him for his sin. He was still disciplined for what he did. But the fascinating thing to me is that you'll find no record again in the, in the history of the life of King David where he repeated the same stupid mistake. I like that. Because some of us have made some really dumb mistakes. And we've paid the price for it. And we, we, we're still reaping the consequences of it. But, you know, there's a pattern in the Bible that we can't miss. And the pattern is very simple is that when we make a mistake before God, a wise person confesses it, agrees with God that what he or she did was wrong. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says that if you agree with God that what you did is wrong, then there's hope for you. The second thing is, is that there's also restitution that's made, and it's a pattern of wisdom. You know, it's just not a matter of saying, well, I screwed up, God, I agree with you, and then walk on and pretend like there's no consequences for what you did. 
The Bible says in Luke 19, 1 through 10, a story of Zacchaeus as an example. He said, you know what? I have stolen from people, and I'm going to go make that right. It's just not some cheap, forgive me, and I'm on my way. But if we've hurt people in the process, we need to go back to them and make them right. That's a sign of a wise person. And the last thing, and of course is the most important in conjunction with all of it, and that is that we repent, which means we turn from it. It's one thing to make a mistake. It's another thing to continue to continue to make the same mistake over and over again. If we do, the Bible says there is no confession because you haven't agreed what you've done was wrong. There is no restitution because you continue to do the same thing. And obviously there's no repentance because you haven't turned from it. So the pattern of wisdom that's laid out in the Bible is very simple. We're all going to make mistakes. It's a matter of just when and how and which one it is. But how we handle that mistake is the, the demonstration of whether we're a wise person, according to the Bible, or the, or, the, or the contrast of that is whether we're a fool. You're either a wise person or you're a foolish person, and that's all there is to it. And, the, and you demonstrate your wisdom or foolishness by how you respond to the problems that you get into. As we've looked at the problem of fools, we've looked at several characteristics, but there's one that stands out above all as far as I'm concerned. In Proverbs 10, 23, it says this, A foolish person or a fool finds pleasure in evil conduct, but a man of understanding delights in wisdom. Proverbs 12, 15, The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. A couple characteristics of foolishness that, that I was able to walk away with and, and grasp and appreciate, and that was very simply that, you know, a foolish person is a person who delights in doing what's wrong before God. They delight in doing what's wrong before God. Not only do they take delight in it, but they also even brag about it on occasions. Look what I'm doing and I'm getting away with it. There's no price to be paid. That's a foolish person. Because the Bible is very clear in Galatians 6, 7, that don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. It's just a matter of payday, but it's someday. It doesn't always happen immediately. But we, we do pay the price for sin. You know, I was thinking, going back to the illustration of King David. Here's David, the king of Israel. You know what? God didn't let him slide when he sinned. And yet, who are we? You know, who are we if you think about who David is in light of human history, in light of the history of the nation of Israel, in light of the fact God calls him a man after his own heart, in light of the fact that, you know, here, here was a man who was a very special man as far as we're concerned in biblical history. And yet here we are, we come and go as we please, and we think somehow or another we'll escape the judgment of God for the things that we've got going on in our life. We're foolish people if we believe that. Because not even David was, was above the discipline of God. <laughs> and I know I'm not, and I'm positive you're not. Because that's just the way it is. God is a righteous judge. And so a foolish person, if you consider what's being said, a foolish person finds pleasure in evil conduct. And that's true. I think we teach people wrong when we tell them that there's no enjoyment in doing th something that's wrong before God. Because the Bible teaches the opposite. That sin is pleasurable. But it also teaches that it's pleasurable for just the moment. Talking to a friend last week and we came up with kind of a catchy little phrase to help us remember this. But we just said, you know, sin is always overrated. And undercalculated. It really is. Man, jot that down, huh? That's a pearl of wisdom there, huh? Yeah, I like that guy. Write it down. You can have that. And you can even steal it and use it. And, you know, Mike does all these, you know, high school things. He'll come up with that and they'll look at him and say, How can a guy with long hair come up with something like that? <laughs> but we know he can. But think about it. You know, sin is, man. Sin is overrated and undercalculated. You know, we think it's going to be so much fun, and it is short-term, but it's always undercalculated because the consequences always exceed the temporary pleasure. The point is very simple. Foolish people don't understand that. They live to please themselves today. They think they're getting over. They're not getting over on anything or anybody because you and I may not even see what they're doing, but God knows. 
It's interesting to me how many of us think that we're fooling one another. And we are. But who cares? Because God's the one that's going to judge us. Not me, not you, not the person next to you, not somebody in your family. It doesn't make any difference. But God judges sin. And he'll continue to do that. So a foolish person laughs in the face of God by saying, I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm not going to have to pay the price. And God says, you are a foolish person. But the second point is, is, uh, is equally as va- valid, and that is that there are many of us who are foolish people. You know why? Because it says, uh, the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Foolish people, I mean, if you ask them why they do what they do, they can tell you a hundred reasons why they're doing it, and it's okay. They listen to himself. Their objective standard isn't objective at all. It's subjective. It's them. I'm doing it because. Well, why? Well, because it makes me happy. Because, you know, I deserve to be happy. Oh, okay, but it's wrong what you're doing. Well, who says it's really wrong? Well, you know what? God says it's wrong. It's an objective standard that we go to. And we conform to what God says is right or wrong. And God doesn't conform to our viewpoint of right or wrong. But a foolish pe- person doesn't realize that. A foolish person doesn't realize that God's ways are, are immutable or unchangeable. That what God has established has been established throughout all of human history and will continue to the end of human history as we know it. God's word never changes. His standard stays the same for all generations. And it's a wonderful thing because I, in confidence, can, can learn that myself, can live it myself, can teach it to my children who can teach it to their children. And that truth four or five generations from now is just as true then as it was the day that I began to teach my kids. What a wonderful thing. God doesn't change with the weather. The third thing is, a, is the problem of friends. We saw that uh, you know, friendships can be very difficult, to say the least, but there's, a, there's basically one quick point that I want to make, and that's Proverbs 12:26 says this, A righteous man is cautious in friendship, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Simple point, we need to be more careful about the people that we choose as our friends that we identify with his friends, that we hang out with his friends, that we spend time with his friends, that we claim they're our friends. We need to be more careful about the people that we associate with. Why? Because the Bible's so clear. If you choose to hang out with the wrong people, they're going to lead you astray. They're going to turn you from God. Not only that, Proverbs 13, 20 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. You know, it doesn't take a genius to see that people who hang out with non-Christians all the time begin to adopt their philosophy of life. They begin to adopt their understanding of right or wrong, which is all subjective and not objective. They lose that standard. They begin to become just as they are. And the Bible says we better take heed where we stand or we're too going to fall. And the Bible is very clear that we need to choose carefully our friends. We need to choose people that are 100% committed to doing what's right before God. And, we'll all, and no matter what the price is to be paid as far as that friendship, will hold us to that same standard of accountability. We need people like that in our life. But you know what usually happens is we shun people like that because we want to continue to do what's wrong before God. And that's foolish behavior. When a friend who loves you and loves the Lord comes to you and says, this is what's wrong, this is what's going on in your life, we need to talk about it. Do you understand what's going on? We need to be people that listen to that. Because only a person that loves us is going to confront us. But not a foolish person. They say, hit the road, I'll find new friends. And I'll find people that believe the same thing I believe. And you can find them because they're all out there, all over the place. God says the problem of of friends is that we need to choose our friends carefully. Probably the best example of it is a young man whose name was Harold Morris, who did not choose his friends carefully. And as a result, they led him into danger. And I'll talk about that in a minute. That way you have to pay attention for a couple more points. The problem of money. Never forget, as Tara said this morning, you know what? All gifts come from God. All good things come from above, the Bible says. Never, ever, ever forget 
that your ability and my ability to make money, to have material things, is a direct result of the blessings that come from the hand of God. Period. You're not a genius. You're not smarter than anybody. You're not sharper than anybody. You haven't found a niche that nobody else has seen. And if you have, it's only because God allowed you to see it. The point is very simple. Everything we have comes from the hands of God. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, You know what? Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled with overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. God's not saying, hey, you know what? And you know, we can distort this to the point of if we give to the Lord, if we give back to Him, then He's got to replace that with what we've given Him. But, but that's not exactly true because God will give to us the way He deems fit for Him to bless us. The point that He's making is honor Him with all that He has given us because we're just stewards of, his, of the possessions that He's given us. We need to understand that more than anything else you need to learn about the principles of money, the very first principle and foundational issue is very simple. You put God first because He's the one that gives it to you and He'll take care of everything else. Matthew 6.33 You seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and you know what? All these other things will be added to you. And he's talking about money and material things and food and clothing. And just he'll meet every one of our needs. Because David said at the end of his life, man, I've looked back over my life and I've seen God's people. And you know what? I've never seen them go without. God always takes care of his people. Always meets their needs. Doesn't mean he'll meet our greeds. Number five, the problem of counsel. The problem of counsel. You know, who do you listen to? Who should you listen to? We've got the experts, we've got the educated, we've got the professionals, we've got everyone out there who has an opinion. And you know what? All you've got to do is ask, hey, do you have an opinion on this? Stand back, get out of the way. Because here it comes, you know what I mean? Everyone's got an opinion about everything. And after a while, you get to the point of just saying, you know what? <laughs> you know, I don't, who cares what your opinion is? You get so sick of hearing people's opinion, you go, well, what do you think? Well, here's what I think. You know what? I don't, you know what? I'm sorry I asked you that because I really set you up because I don't really care what you think. Because if what you think isn't what God says to be true, then it doesn't make any difference what you think. The only reason I would ask you what you think is to test you to see if you know what you think in light of what God says is true in this particular situation. So once you have said what you think, now I ask you a question of what passage and what verse brought you to the conclusions of what you just said. Duh. That's the way most of our conversations are. Duh. Well, why do you think that? Well, I don't know because I just do because that's the way it is. Well, that's the way it is according to what? Well, according to this particular situation. Well, wait a minute. You know what? The Bible says that, you know, if we're going to seek counsel, Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in a man's heart. You know what? But it's the Lord's purpose that's revealed. I like Psalm 119.24. Your statutes, the word of God, he says, they are my delight and they are my counselors. The first source of counsel that every person should go to is God himself. And we go through it through his word through the Bible, through this book. We search it, we seek it like, like treasures we go after it. We find out what God has to say. We dig it up, we find it, and then we apply it to our life. You know what? We need to be more careful about the kind of counsel and advice that we give one another. We need to be spending more time digging into the Bible to find out what God has specifically to say about it so we don't lead anybody astray with our opinions. The most frightening thing in the world is to start giving people opinions and have it devastate their life if they follow your advice and your advice is wrong before God. Man, I don't want to be accountable for that and I don't think you do either. The only counsel we need to go to is the Word of God. And then we need to reinforce it one another. Number six, the problem of pride. 
you know, there's really no room in any of our lives for pride. There's no room for a look at me, don't you know who I am kind of mentality. There's no room uh, for, hey, you know what, here's who I am. This is what I do. Here's how much money I have. This is what kind of car I drive. This is the kind of political clout I have. You know, there's no room for any of that. Because according to the Bible, that every person that has anything has it because God's given it to them. The only reason that anybody is in an office of so-called power is because God enabled them and put them in that position. And he says, I'll put you there. I'll take you out. And the bottom line is that there's no room for pride in any of our life because Proverbs 16, 18, pride always comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. People that think that they're somehow above accountability, the accountability of the Word of God, the accountability of one another, the accountability of their employers or employees, the accountability of uh, police officers, the accountability of uh, uh, government officials, the accountability of the people if you're an elected official. Anytime we get to the point where we think that we're above the law, that we're above accountability in the law, I mean is the law of God more than anything. Anytime we think we're above that, then just hold on because God is going to knock you on your butt. It's as simple as it gets because pride always comes before destruction. Proverbs 29, 23, it's a man's pride that will bring him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. The Bible clearly teaches that we need to humble ourselves before God and he'll exalt us in the proper time. And you know the thing that will humble you more than anything? You pick up the word of God, you read it, and then you obey it. There's no more humility than that. Doing what God says to do even though you want to do something opposite. That's very humbling, isn't it? It's like every one of our kids that you tell to do something and they want to do their own thing. But you know what? There's no more submissive spirit or humbling attitude than a person that says, I don't want to do this. I want to do something else. But I honor the authority and I respect that and I'll do what I'm told to do as long as it doesn't conflict with the Word of God. See, all of us need a good dose of humility and the only way we get it is we need to start being obedient to God. There's no other way that can happen. You don't go out and say, today I think I'll humble myself. Well, how are you going to do that? You know, really, practically, how are you going to do that? The only way you do it is be obedient to God. And that's as much humility as God demands. Number seven, the problem of anger. It says in Proverbs 19.11, a man's wisdom gives him patience and it's to his glory to overlook an offense. You know, I think that more, we, we need to start to relax a little bit. You know what I mean? How many of you get ticked off about anything and everything? How many of you got mad this morning getting ready? No, seriously. All right, now the person that won't raise their hand, the person that knows they got mad, would you please raise your hand, and we'll know it's not really you, but it's the person that you came with. But we won't really know how to identify that, but we'll know what we're talking about, won't we? I mean, all right, how many of you got mad this past week? I mean, what do we get mad about? You know what most of the times we get mad about? We didn't get our way. Somebody cut us off on the freeway. Somebody's driving faster than we were, and somehow or another, we're the traffic monitors of the freeway system, and we just don't think that that's right. Man, that's... You know what I mean? Somebody wants to go past you, and they want to get off at the next off-ramp. You know it in your heart. You know it. And what are you going to do? I'm going faster. And then when they're looking at me, and they've got to slow down, I'll just keep looking straight, you know, but I'll have a smile on my face. And that'll be the last thing I do right before they pull their gun out and shoot me. Why? Because you know what? A man's wisdom gives him patience. And it's to his glory to overlook an offense. We need to start overlooking offenses, man. We need to stop taking into consideration everything that people do to bug us and jotting it down in our old memory banks so somehow we can bring it back against them. 
God says, you know what? Don't be foolish enough to be angry about every little thing. Get angry about the things God gets angry about. Get angry about injustice in the world. Get angry about sin and the consequences of it. Get angry over the right things. Stop getting angry because you didn't get your way if things didn't turn out like you wanted them to. And uh, Proverbs 22, 24, and 25 goes back to what we talked about as far as friends. Don't make friends with a hot-tempered man. Don't associate with one who is easily angered or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. The point is very simple, man. You know what? Stay away from people that are angry people. Think about it. At the root of gang activity and gang violence are a bunch of people who get together that are hot and angry-tempered people. At the, at, the, at the root of skinheads, at the root of racists, at the root of all of these things that we see happening in our society are a bunch of individuals who have hot tempers. They get together, and all that comes out of it is nonsense and violence and hatred. God says, stop hanging around people who are prone to violence and are short-tempered and have a short fuse. Harold Morris, best example that I can think of, of a young man who hung around with the wrong guys. Harold Morris and two friends pull into a 7-Eleven somewhere in the south. I think it was Georgia, if I remember the story right. His two friends get out of the car. They go into the, the, the 7-Eleven, the convenience store. They come out. They have a couple of drinks with them. They drive away. A year later, there's a knock at the door. Harold Morris goes to the door. He's a young man at this point. Two FBI agents ask him, are you Harold Morris? Yes, I am. You're under, the re- under arrest. For what? For murder. For murder? What did I do? A year ago, you and two friends pulled into a 7-Eleven in Georgia. Your friends went in. You waited in the car. You drove the getaway car. They robbed the store, and they shot and murdered the clerk behind the counter. You're under arrest for murder. Harold Morris, you can read a story in a book called Twice Pardoned, but Harold Morris was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. Why? (laughs) Because he hung around with the wrong people. It's a fascinating and in-depth study of what it means to choose to hang around with the right or wrong people. God, you know, I, I, God knows, and, and you wonder sometimes, and we all go through it with our children, that person's not good for you, stay away from them. Don't hang around those people, don't be around that scene, don't be going where they go, don't do those things. But somehow we grow up and we're adults and we think we're sharper than that now. But you know what, those same dangers are still there, those same people are there, they're just older like you are. And they still believe the same thing. They still do the same thing. They may have polished it up a little bit. It's not as crude as it used to be. And maybe it's even more acceptable now than it used to be. But they're still doing the same thing. And the Bible says very clearly, you better choose your friends carefully. And particularly, don't hang around people that have a short-tempered fuse. Because you're going to get into nothing but trouble. Number eight. Laziness. The problem of laziness. You know what? Don't be lazy. Proverbs 15, 19. The way of a sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. The bottom line and very simple point is this. You know what? There are too many of us who sit around waiting to be told what to do. God says, you know what? My people should be leading the way. They should be out there blazing it, man. They should be the ones that are on the field putting in 100% effort. They're the ones that are in the office that are working the hardest. They're the ones that are giving 100% effort in everything that they do. Why? Because they know, and I know, according to Colossians 3, that everything we do, we do heartily unto the Lord because it's God whom we serve and not man. You know what? If we, if we do not stop being lazy, the Bible says that laziness is an obstacle and a thorn in our path, that we need to get up and we need to get motivated and we need to do things and uh, prove to people that work is no longer a curse for those who know Christ, but it's the greatest blessing that God has ever given man. Stop looking forward to retirement because every person I know that's retired hates it. Isn't that funny? And if you're younger, don't look forward to that big social security check you're going to get.
That wasn't a political statement. That was just a spiritual truth. Okay, number nine, the problem of discipline. What do we got here? Very simple. The problem of discipline. Proverbs 22:15. Folly or foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Let me tell you something. If you're young and you've got kids and they're young, listen to me and listen to me good. Don't you ever get tired of disciplining your children. You know why? Because Proverbs 29:15 says that the rod of correction imparts wisdom. But a child that's left to himself disgraces his mother. Let me tell you something, and some of you older people know it. Your children have grown up to embarrass you, to disgrace you, and just about drive you crazy to where the point is you can hardly sleep at night because of the stuff that they're doing. And do you know why? To a large degree, not in every case, but to a large degree, it's because at some point in their life, you got tired of disciplining them and telling them to do and showing them to do what's right before God. Or else you were in a non-Christian home and you didn't know what was right before God and now you're experiencing the consequences of that. I mean, but the simple truth of the matter is very, is very obvious and that is, you know what? If you, young parents, do not discipline your children when your children are young, they will grow up according to the Bible because the foolishness that's in their heart has not been removed from them and they will do things that are wrong before God and you know what? It'll stink and be a disgrace to you, your husband, your family, and everything else. And not only that, but it usually is expensive because you're the one they call to bail, you, to bail them out. You're the one that's putting them in the rehab place. You're the one that's going down picking them up at the jail. You're the one that's letting them move back in when they get divorced and they've got the kids and they're all coming back home again. You're the one that gets to pick up all this. So what's the point? is very simple. Hey, you know what? You're younger and you've got a little more energy. You know, if they need it, wax them one. You know, if they need it, you teach them what's right before God. Because if you don't do it when they're younger, you're going to get stuck dealing with all the stuff later too. So what I say is be steadfast and movable, always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing your toil is never in vain. Don't ever get tired of doing what's right before God, and you discipline them. And every young person in here is going, yeah, hallelujah, and way to go, buddy. I think we're, we're going to start going back to the children's programs around here where they tell us how sweet and lovely we are. <laughs> Number 10, the problem of lying. Problem of lying. Let's get simple here. Be honest. Commit to honesty. There is nothing that will destroy a relationship of any kind quicker than dishonesty. When we lie to one another, it violates the foundation of every relationship, and that is trust. When that trust is violated, we have nothing to stand upon anymore. When a leader violates the trust of the people, there is nothing left as far as that relationship is concerned. I don't care whether it's in government, whether it's in a church, whether it's in the home, wherever it is, with a relationship, husband, wife, employer, employee. When we lie to one another, we have nothing left to come back to when we try to work things out. God says, commit to honesty. You know why? Because he hates lying. Always have, always will. Proverbs 6, 16 and 19. And not only does he say that he hates lying, but Proverbs 12, 9 is another indictment to those who, who lie, but they do it in much more creative ways. Proverbs 12, 9 says, Better to be a nobody and yet have a servant than to pretend to be somebody and have no food. What's the point? Very simple. A lot of us like to pretend we're something that we're not. And we put this image out and project this image, and God says, You know what? Stop playing games. I know who you are, you know who you are, and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of who you are. The only thing that really matters is what God says. So just be who you are, relax, chill out. You don't have to worry about people finding out that you're a phony. Just be you. Because if you're not, then you're lying. And you're deceiving people around you. Number 11 is the problem of gossip. 
problem of gossip. With his mouth, Proverbs 11, 9 says, With his mouth the godless destroy his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous escape. You know what? Gossip just gets to be sickening after a while, doesn't it? You just hear all the stories and you hear all this and that about so-and-so and listen to what they did and listen to what she said and listen to what he did. And just after a while, man, you just get sick of it. The only way that we can counteract gossip is very simple, and that is be committed to learn the truth. If someone comes to me and says, this is what so-and-so did, I am now stuck in the position of having to check into the facts to see whether that's true or not. Me, not you, not someone else. I don't send somebody else to go check into the facts and report back and let me know. Now, I'm stuck having to find out if what I just heard was true. And those who are committed to truth will dig it up and find out whether it's true or not. But then here's another problem. Proverbs 17.9 says, you know what, even if it is true, he who covers an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. So we've got a whole other problem to deal with. If, I count, if somebody comes to me and says this about you, even if I dig into it and find out that that's true, now I've got the problem of trying to decide whether or not that really needs to be repeated. And why did you tell me, and why did you come to the conclusion that it needed to be repeated? You see what the difficulty is here? Because, there's, you know, we're all messed up. I think if it doesn't affect you directly and it doesn't affect, uh, you know, somebody that's in a leadership position or something like that, it has a greater accountability and it's just a matter of matter between friends and it doesn't affect relationships, it doesn't affect somebody's marriage, it doesn't affect their children, somebody's not going to go to jail. I mean, there's no real critical uh, conclusion of the information that you just heard. Then I just say, so what? Who cares? Let it go. But we need to be committed to the truth. Problem of temptation, real simple. In a nutshell, Proverbs 5, 18 through 19. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. You know, the amazing thing is all the stuff that's going on in society about sex, you know, all the controversy, condom this, condom that, uh, AIDS, uh, VD, all this kind of stuff, all the stuff that's out there, all the information you can read, all the pamphlets, all the books. Let me just simplify everything the Bible has to say. Okay? Here's the way it is. If you're single... Don't do it. If you're married, just do it with your spouse. That's it. But there's got to be more. (laughs) No, that's it. You're single, don't do it. If you're married, just do it with your spouse. That's it. I had to cut that short because I'm kind of, you know, some of these other ones take a little longer time. But... Does anybody have any questions about that one? <laughs> I didn't think so. In fact, I, I did that. We had our Rams Bible study this week, and I kind of was like uh, kind of a summation of something we were discussing, and kind of said that. And uh, one of the single guys there said, hey, you know, because I just said, hey, well, if you're married, you know, have that. It's great. You know, it's a great blessing from God. And uh, so he came up to me later and said, man, you know, we need to have a, a single study. I said, for what? What do you want to study? He goes, well, man, I mean, gee, I mean, what? <laughs> that was the extent of it. It was like, you know, i got to find a loophole here somewhere. I mean, you know, let's dig into this thing, man. Let's search that word, you know. It's like, that's it. What, what do you want me to tell you? You're single? Don't do it. But you got something to look forward to. Oh, here, here. <laughs> that was real comfort to him, by the way. <laughs> Problem of marriage. Problem of marriage. Or really the problem is how do you find a good woman? That's really the problem, right? Hallelujah. 
Man, I had to look up here and say something different here. Finally, somebody woke up out there. Problem of marriage. How do you find a good woman? How do you find a good woman? Proverbs 31.30 gives it to us in a nutshell. Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. But a, no, I touched that line. But a, but, a, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. How do you find a good woman? Hey, if you're a single guy and you're looking for a good woman, then you find somebody who's committed to the Lord, that loves the Lord with all her heart. And you know what? She'll never do you wrong in life. Problem is we're so superficial, we go after the looks, man, and what God says the looks don't last. <laughs> well, I know you fight, you hang on, you do the best you can. <laughs> you know, I know that. Well, we all no, it's not just women. Look at the guy you're with. <laughs> but it is. But but beauty is fleeting. It is fleeting. It's like, but you know what? But a person who loves the Lord, that lasts a lifetime and into all eternity, doesn't it? I mean, how do you, how do you become a good woman? Then be committed to doing what's right before God. And the guy you're with will praise God every day for the wife that he has. Now, another important lesson that we learned this particular week was that I should never, ever, ever again tell my annual Mother's Day story. Thank you very much. But it's like so many things that we learn, will I retain it next Mother's Day? <laughs> we'll see. What? All right, number 14. The problem of alcohol. Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Proverbs 23, 33. Your eyes will see strange things and your mind imagine confusing things. The Bible is very clear. Alcoholic beverage consumption is just not a wise way to live your life. Plain and simple. There's no way around it. You know, and I don't know what it takes, man. And I don't know how many more people have to get killed by drunk drivers or how many times we've got to read it in the newspaper and see the tragedy of it. But the reality of it is very simple. Wine is a mocker. And strong drink or beer is a brawler and whoever's led astray by him is not wise. It's deceptive. Being under the influence of alcohol perverts our sense of right or wrong. It jeopardizes our lives. It jeopardizes the lives of others. It destroys us physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And how anybody in the world can study what the Bible has to say about drinking and walk away from it and think that it's okay to continue to do that, I, it's beyond me. It is beyond me. We see too much tragedy in our world today because of the results of alcoholic beverages and drugs. And how in the world any Christian can read their Bible and continue to drink and say there's nothing wrong with it. I, you know, I... I know that's a strong indictment and that's a strong statement, but the only thing I can figure is it's just like everything else that we've studied. You know what? You don't want to spend too much time studying the things that you're doing in your life because you already know in your heart what you're doing is wrong, and the last thing you need is more reinforcement of, of having to change and do what God says you need to do. It's sad, man. It's sad, and it's destroying our lives. And it doesn't have to because it's a self-inflicted wound, just like every other sin. You know, drunkenness is a sin. Having a drink, we already went through all that, is not necessarily wrong before God. It's just a matter of how wise is it and we need to ask that question. Number 15, and the last thing, and we made it through, is the problems of fear, the problems specifically of fear, and that is that, you know what? Every one of us are going to have to struggle with problems in our life. The ones that are self-inflicted, we need to stop doing the things that lead to the damage. That's as simple as that. 
There are other problems that each of us experience because we're in a world that is sinful, that has fallen, and it is a matter of just a, a, a moment away from another tragedy occurring because of somebody else's own selfishness. How do you live in a world where fear could dominate our lives? Very simple. And that is that we've just got to trust the Lord. Psalm 34, 4 through 7 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. You know, I like that because it answers everything that we've been talking about. Every one of us are going to have problems. And the only way to eliminate problems in our life is to have a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. See, Jesus died for every one of our problems. He died for all of our troubles. And it's a matter of putting your trust and your faith in Him. The Bible clearly teaches that, you know what, we can go out and try to live a life that's pleasing to God, but all of our righteousness is filthy rags. There's none of us that are righteous, none of us, not one. The only way that we ever become right with God is to believe what He says about Jesus Christ, that He was God in human flesh, that He came to this earth, He lived a sinless life, that He went to the cross and He shed His blood on the cross for our sins. And then he demonstrated he was God by three days later being raised from the dead. The only way that any of us will ever be right before God, that we can ever deal with any of the problems that we have in life, is to turn our hearts and our lives over to Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, that we shall be saved. Because it's with the heart man believes resulting in righteousness. But it's with his mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. The only way to deal with fear and problems in our life is to turn them over to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You have to know Him first before you can do it. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this opportunity to go through the book of Proverbs over this last 30-some weeks. God, there are some in-depth and intense things that we discussed. And yet, as the challenge is always there, you teach us the truth. You say if we know Jesus is Lord, that we have the Holy Spirit and He's living within us to guide us into that truth to convict us of sin in our life, to convict us of the right way to live, and to remind us of everything that Jesus said and did. God, we have no excuse if we've come to know Christ because you've given us all that we need to empower us, to give us the strength to do what's right before you. The only thing that holds us up is ourself and our own stubbornness. God, I just pray that every person that's been here that's been impacted by your word, you tell us that your word goes out and never comes back empty that it's your word that's profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training us in the right way to live. God, we believe that, and we just pray that uh, we can continue to trust you in areas that seem difficult at first to give up or make right. But we know that you have our best interest in heart. God, we just thank you for your word that it's clear, that it's understandable, that it's relevant for each of our lives as we leave here today. There's things that we know we should do. There are things we know we should confess and agree with you that what we're doing is wrong that we should make them right and that we should turn from them. God, and you promise that you'll forgive us from it and you'll cleanse us from it. What a wonderful truth that is. God, I just thank you for this time and I just thank you for your word that helps us to go through life and deal with everyday problems in a way that won't devastate us but draw us closer to you. And we just pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.
the next song I'm going to sing for you, of course, is Sandy Patty, <laughs> again, and it's called uh, Come Before Him, and um, it's along the same lines of what, what I was just talking about, about praising God and just feeling his love and his warmth and his, everything that he has to give us, and I'm really thankful because he's given me such a glorious voice, and this morning, I, I've already had an interesting experience, and I always try to really get myself together before I sing, because the, the one thing, the reason that I'm up here is to glorify God. And when you sing songs like this, it's really easy to want to glorify yourself, and you want to, you know, you want to do good, you want to sound good. You know, and I really have to get aside and pray to God, you know, just to let him be glorified through my voice because he's given it to me, and I did not earn it. I, I you know, there's, there has nothing to do with me. It was simply a gift from him. And this next song is a, a, a really beautiful song, and, and I hope that you enjoy it. And uh, I, as I sing this song, I'm, I'm really just trying to praise God for the beautiful voice that he's given me, and I do hope that you enjoy it and praise God through it. Those who know. 